you know, it, it's good to remind ourselves of one of the key things that must mark us out as a church family. All right? I mean, you know, there are many things that can mark out a local church. I mean, for some churches, maybe it's their Sunday school, their kids' work. Wow, pumping kids' work, that's what that church does, and uh, go along and you'll really enjoy it for that. And uh, for other churches, it's their wonderful building, the wonderful venue that they meet in. There's no danger of that being us this morning. <laughs> it's not bad, but it's not a wonderful building. For others, it's the great personalities of the leaders. <laughs> Thank you so much. But just to, just to balance that, I had somebody who was quite new on the scene said to me several Sundays ago, he said, you know what, there's nothing special about you guys. And I went, <laughs> no, I went, yeah, that's true. That's true, and that's how it should be. For many churches these days, it's more about the worship and the, the loud worship and the light show and the smoke machines. You know, I actually came across a church once that was well known for its coffee and donuts. Yeah, yeah, go to that church, there's good coffee down there. You get a donut halfway through the service. Well, I'm sorry. You may get coffee, but you'll get no donuts. Not unless you bring them and share them. But listen, biblically, the thing that must distinguish us more than anything else, surely, surely it's this. It's the presence of God, the presence of God among us. And, and that has always been so biblically. So back in, in Exodus 33, you know, Moses is crying out to God for help. And, and God says to, to Moses, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you. Right? Not my donuts, my my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And of course, that's it, isn't it? The thing that should make this gathering this community, different from any other kind of religious or political group meeting, it has to be the presence of God, the, the filling of his Holy Spirit. En gari kia ki te wairua, the filling of the Spirit. And you've got to understand, this is a key value for us as a people. It's a key value. And, it, and, and you know what? It, it must be because it's always been God's passion for his people. He's never wanted a people who'd be satisfied to follow him from a distance or, or just through a tradition or a program. Now, if you read your Bible, you'll see that his deep desire has always been to be among his people. I mean, you can see that right back to the start of creation, right back in Genesis. You know, Genesis 3, he, he creates Adam and Eve. But it's interesting, isn't it? He puts them in the garden, but he doesn't just create them, leaves them on their own to get on with it and wander off and do something else. No, no, no. In Genesis 3, 8, you get this wonderful phrase. It, it, it says, Adam and Eve heard the sound of God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the implication, it was a daily thing. I just love that. It's a beautiful picture. Walking in a garden with God. Would you like to walk with God in a garden? Man, I would. I'd ask him some things. 
I'm sure Adam and Eve asked him some things. Why are we here? Where did we come from? That's where we get the account of the first days of creation. It's probably through Adam and Eve who asked God in the cool of the day. Point is, that's what we were made for, to be close to him. And then it's really interesting because even when sin eventually comes in and wrecks the thing, and mankind is thrown out of the garden and cut off from the presence of God, it's not like God just ends it there. Oh well, I did my best. You blew it. I'm off somewhere else. No, no, no. God can't end it there. And so he establishes another way to be among his people. I mean, they can't come back into the garden, so he goes out to them. And really, that's what the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament is all about. It's a way to make it possible for God to be among his people without wiping them out by his holiness. Yeah? I mean, the holiness of God is totally incompatible with the sinfulness of man. They can't coexist. That's why I had to throw them out of the garden. And so in the tabernacle, and there's a picture of it there, in the tabernacle and later on in the temple, what you've got is a is a way for God to keep being among his people. The downside is that he has to be hidden from them. And so he's shut away in a little room called the most holy place, probably no larger than one of your bedrooms at home. It's a very small little room, hidden away, and inside this little room, the most holy place, uh, you've got this box called the ark, and then seated on the top of the ark, you have the presence of God. Sometimes called the Shekinah glory of God. Now, it's not all of God, obviously, but, but in, in essence, in terms of intensity, it is God himself in all his holiness and glory. But as I say, he has to be hidden away because no one can come near him without being consumed, without dropping dead by the holiness of his glory. And for the people of God, it's actually a tough one to handle because on the one hand, God is among them, but on the other hand, they can't really get close to him. No one can get near him. Only the high priest and he only once a year on the Day of Atonement would tiptoe into the most holy place holding, holding a little bowl with incense and the smoke rising of the incense and he would tiptoe inside and I imagine him keeping his eyes down, afraid to look at the glory of God, afraid to put a foot wrong because if he does, he could be consumed by the holiness of God. Wow. And so in some ways, I think it must have been quite stressful to have God among them as a people, to be so close to such holy power and yet approach it wrongly and you won't survive. I actually had a glimpse of what this might be like as a young husband many years ago. Not that my wife is the most holy. I'm not saying that. But I can remember as a young husband, Julie said to me, I want shelves in our new house, the first house we ever owned. I said, yes, dear, I'll put up shelves. I want shelves above the oven in the kitchen. And so I thought, yes, dear, oven, uh, shelves above the oven in the kitchen. So I remember getting the shelf up above the oven, and I got my drill, never done it before, above the oven, and uh, I see the shelf right there above the oven, you know, where the big wire from the oven comes up behind the wall. 
And I still remember, oh, this would be easy. Drill, drill, drill. Oh, there's something quite hard. I'll press harder. Drill, drill, drill. And then boom. <laughs> I still remember, I, I kid you not, lying on my back in the corner of the kitchen, the kitchen twitching like this. <laughs> I didn't know what hit me. Julie came running in, what are you doing? <laughs> Point is, there was power in the house, but I just got too close. <laughs> and after that, and since then, I've been terrified of drilling in my house ever since. <laughs> Honestly, I turn everything off, up and down the street, everything goes off before I even <laughs> use my handheld little drill. Healthy dread. I wonder if it was a bit like how it felt in the camp of Israel at times. Eternal holiness and power right among you, just don't get too close. And certainly there were times when God had to remind his people not to mess about with his presence. But of course, the point of having God among them was actually to, to care for them and to bless them and to guide them and to protect them. And there were other times when to have God among them must have been just the most Amazing experience. And I often love to quote 2 Chronicles 5 when Solomon is dedicating the temple for the first time, the brand new temple. And, and as he's dedicating the temple, the glory of God descends and fills the temple. Here it is here. It says here, accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices and praise to the Lord and sang, he is good, his love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Man, can you imagine being in worship like that? Can you imagine a cloud visibly seen filling this place? So much so that the worship band has to put their guitars down and have to just kneel down on the floor where every face in this room is on the floor and no one's going for coffee. The glory of the Lord is in this place. Wow. The presence of God was their privilege, their privilege. It's what made them the people of God. It's what distinguished them from every, everyone else. And so Gordon Fee, he says this, whatever else the people of Israel understood themselves to be the people of the presence, the people among whom the eternal God had chosen to dwell on earth. Wonderful. But of course, if you know your Old Testament history, you'll know that there's a terrible moment when all of that changes, when God decides to leave his people. Some would say it's the most terrible moment in all their history. And the reason why he chose to leave was because their sin and rebellion became worse and worse over the years. And despite the fact that God sent them prophets again and again, they would not stop. They continued into idolatry and murder and greed and sexual sin until it got so bad, so entrenched that this holy God finally gets to the point where he says, enough, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. I'm not having this anymore, I'm going. And, and he does. And you've got this terrible moment in Ezekiel 10 when Ezekiel sees God quietly leaving the temple says in Ezekiel 10, then the glory of the Lord rose from above the cherubim and, and moved to the threshold of the temple. And then the glory of the Lord 
departed from over the threshold of the temple. It's the most terrible moment in Old Testament history. He's gone. And you think what a dreadful thing to happen. The people didn't even know it. It was only Ezekiel who saw it. But God had left. What a dreadful thing to happen for God to quietly shut the door on his people and leave. It's the worst moment in Old Testament history. And, and the thing is, the people didn't even know he'd gone, but they soon found out because now his protection was off them. And now the enemies arrived and the Babylonians came crashing in and they destroyed Jerusalem and they tore down the temple and they took the people of Israel, put them into exile, put them in chains and led them hundreds of kilometers away into the heart of Babylon into exile. It's a terrible, terrible moment. But you know what? The really, really terrible thing about all this is simply this. God never came back. He never came back. He never returned. Now, I know the history of the Old Testament carries on, and yes, God continued to look after his people quietly behind the scenes, but his presence never returns. Even when the exiles come back to Jerusalem and prophets are raised up and a, and a temple is rebuilt, he doesn't come and fill it. He, he doesn't come back. His presence doesn't come back. And in fact, if you read on, you'll find that the people of God start going off track again and, and falling into sin. And by the time the, the Old Testament ends, things are pretty low. The people of God have wandered off back into sin and God is still absent. God hasn't returned. And so your Old Testament closes, and then four centuries roll by. Four centuries between the Old Testament and when your New Testament begins. Four long centuries. Four centuries of silence. Now, I know politically all kinds of things happen, but spiritually, it's a graveyard for four centuries. God is absent. There's silence from heaven. It's like from the 1600s until now, there is no sign of God. I mean, can you imagine that? Turning up at church, going through the motions, because there's not even a slight, slight glimpse of God in the room. Four centuries. Can you imagine 50 years in? Here we are. I don't know how many would still be here. Maybe Jack, because he's so faithful plucking his guitar in a lonely measure, <laughs> dribbling into his beard. <laughs> like he does now and his moustache. No. <laughs> Folks, it would be desperate never, never to hear God. God is absent. Until one day Luke opens and we read this one line. And you know what? It moves me when I read it. It's so moving. This one line, it says this, God sent the angel Gabriel to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man. <laughs> and it's like after centuries of nothing, it's like the wheels of heaven begin to move again and touches the earth at last. And in a stable, a baby is born and Jesus appears, Emmanuel, God with us. And he grows up and he proclaims the kingdom. And then they put him on a cross and as he hangs there, he takes our sin and the punishment for our sin. As he, as he dies in our place, and, and here's the point, as Jesus dies, the way is opened at last for God, finally, after all of those years, 
to come back to his people. Hallelujah. And so as Jesus dies, the curtain is torn in two. It's like God saying, the way is open, I'm coming back. Can you see, that's why Acts chapter 2 is so important. Because on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God, the, the presence of God, like a rushing wind, sweeps down and fills his people. In other words, God, after all those centuries, in fact, right back to 600 BC when Ezekiel sees him leave, after all that time, God returns to his people. Hallelujah. And that's what Pentecost really is. It's the return. Gordon Fee says, it's the return of the lost presence of God. It's huge. But of course, this time the coming of God is not like it was in the Old Testament because because back then the presence of God was locked away in a little room, hidden and, and not able to be approached. But now, because Jesus has taken away our sin, there's no longer any barrier between us and God. And so his spirit, his presence is freely poured out upon us all. And, and so as Joel prophesied and brought up in Acts 2, in the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both women and men, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. In other words, I'm coming back And my presence isn't going to be hidden away in a little room. No, my presence is for all of my people now. It's a wonderful prophecy. Guys, I just think we need to come back to the magnitude of this. I love what Tim Keller says. Tim Keller says this. The same divine glory, talking about Acts, the same divine glory that would have been fatal to Moses on contact now comes into the hearts of those pardoned by Christ. We can have hearts to praise, sing, and pray to a God with with a joy and reality that neither David nor John the Baptist could know. God will not merely build us a house. (laughs) He will make us his house. He will fill us with his presence, beauty, and glory. That's the coming of the Spirit. That's what's going on in Acts chapter 2. It's God coming back among his people. Look, it's, uh, it's massive. Because it's here, you see, at this moment in time that the church is born. It's here that the church is born. And that's because it's the church, the gathered community, that now becomes the temple of God on earth. And so Paul says to the local church in Corinth, he says, don't you yourselves know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? In other words, you, the church, are the most holy place. The same divine glory that would have been fatal to Moses is now to be amongst you. The Shekinah glory, the presence of the living God. King's Church, you are called to be nothing less than the house of God. The most holy place. A colony of glory. A people of the presence. Where people genuinely encounter the living, powerful presence of God. And if you want to know what what that looks like in a local church, well, you just need to glance back at Acts chapter 2, the church there. 
You read there in Acts chapter 2, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Folks, that's what marks out a presence-filled church. It's not coffee and donuts. It's not big personalities. It's not smoke machines and bright lights. No, it's awe. Awe. God among us. It's wonders and miracles. It's sincerity of heart. It's authenticity. And people being added daily. That's what it looks like to have God fully back among his people. And that's where we're going as a church. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, through wonders and signs, through deep love for one another. Now, the truth is we're not there yet. I think many years ago, I think it was in this place even, when we first moved here years ago, I still remember someone running across the car park outside that never been with us before. And I still remember her shouting out, Are you a charismatic church? <laughs> and I still remember having to answer, It depends. Compared to where you've come from, maybe we are. Compared to the early church. Not yet, but that's where we're going. That's what I said to her. Now, now praise God for the glimpses we've had. We've seen more healings in recent years than we've ever done. And we've sensed more grace and love among us than I've ever known. We've been learning about honour and learning about authenticity and struggling to overcome the things that hold that back. But that's where we're going. Precious, wonderful. Can I just say precious church? We're not there yet, but we're on our way. Yeah, we're on our way. That's where we're going. You say, well, Pete, okay, but what do we do? How do we get there? Well, let's just start, and I'll close with this. Let's just start by doing this. Let's begin to accept deep in our hearts that it is the deep pleasure and delight of God to give us more of his spirit. In other words, we're not trying to twist his arm for more. No, we realize he is passionate to give us more. Why? Well, because as we've said from the beginning of time, he's always yearned to be among his people. And that's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross. It wasn't just to save us from hell, as astonishing as that is. No, it was also to bring us close to his presence. It was to do away with the barrier of sin where you and I might know him and his love with such depth and glory and power and walk with him again in the cool of the day. Don't think that's just for heaven, walking with him in the cool of the day. It's for today. So repent. That's a heavy word. No, what I mean is change your thinking from the lie that God isn't interested in filling you and meeting with you. And he'll always fill somebody else, but never me. And he'll bless everyone else, but he tolerates me. I'm the one who shouts at the back of the crowd, I'm here. Listen, receive the truth he wants to fill you. Listen, if you feel dry this morning, 
and life is tough and the pressure is on and the deadlines are waiting for you in the office tomorrow and the kids are tiring and the bills are not being paid and there is temptation at the door and maybe life seems a little bit empty just treading out the treadmill and God feels somehow far away Understand, he died for this, that you might receive more. That he might fill you afresh. And look, I just confess to you, I've known many times of dryness in my Christian life. And sometimes he's felt far away from me, even when those around me are being blessed. I remember one occasion back in 1994, when I was a young pastor and around the world God was moving powerfully by his Holy Spirit across nation after nation. You know, I still remember standing up in the church I was pastoring and telling them the stories of what God is doing and God began to move powerfully across the congregation and I still remember a Sunday when most of them were on the floor and God was moving by his Spirit and I was praying for them and, and God was meeting with them but what they didn't quite realize was that I felt quite empty at the time. I was like an observer watching, blown away by what was happening, aware that it was God, but somehow still feeling empty myself. And I remember the days and the weeks went by and I would cry out, God, where are you? Why, why can't I receive the blessing? Until one Sunday morning, or the Thursday morning, at the end of a meeting, I remember standing up and then it finally clicked. The Father wants to fill me. The Father is eager to bless me. And so I remember I put my hands up and a picture suddenly just came to my mind of a big bucket being poured out over me and it refreshed me. And I remember, yes, it was just easy to lie down on the floor than stay upright. And I stayed down there for some time and all I felt was this incredible and rushing of the Spirit. And I woke up a changed man. Hallelujah. And these days I can still feel dry at times, but you know what? Those times never last long because over the last years I've simply become convinced that he is a glorious father who delights to fill me. And so this morning, I woke up real early this morning, got up, oh, I don't know, an unearthly hour, maybe five o'clock, sat up in bed and turned to God and said, Father, here I am. It was beautiful. It came to me by his spirit. It gave me courage for the day. And these days I find I cry more than I ever did. It's just the love of God that comes to me and strengthens me and empowers me. You are looking at a very weak man, but also at a very strong God. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? Jesus died for a people to be full and not empty, overflowing and not dry. He died for a church that would truly be an outpost of heaven. And that is our calling. So let's not settle for less. Over the months ahead, we're going to be praying for more. But even now, my mother told me never to talk about someone when they're in the room. Talk to them. 
Even now, the Father is here by his Spirit. Looking for those who are thirsty. Looking for those who are weary. Looking for those who will believe that he wants to bless them. Isn't it frustrating as a parent or a grandparent when you want to embrace your child and they're just wriggling to get away? Let's not be like that in the hands of God. Let's stand, shall we? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can we just take a moment just to... Got a bit of time still. Let's just take a moment. Just forget about the person next to you because God is interested in you. God is watching you. How are you taking this? Are you receiving it? Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your presence. Thank you so much, Father, that you don't shout your love to us from across the universe. But you've sent us the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of sonship, your spirit who is here now. And your heart is to, wow, for a people to rise up and celebrate that you returned, that you came. After years when you were absent, you came. You sent your son to deal with sin that we might be fully engaged with you again and intimate with you. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And for our part, we, we turn away from disbelieving you and even treating what you did on the cross as a, as a small thing by being happy to settle for crumbs when your son died to give us the table. We want to honour your son and we want to praise you and open our hearts to receive you afresh this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now listen, Sam's going to close with a song and at midday we're going to gather the kids and, but there's a little bit of time and as Sam sings the song, there's no place I'd rather be here in your love. And if you know you've been running on empty for a while, you know you've been on a treadmill. Maybe you've never known there is a Holy Spirit that you can receive. <laughs> the Father is here to bless, to refresh you and strengthen you. So as we sing the song, I'm just encourage you to raise your hand if you want to respond that way and allow the Spirit to come afresh upon your life. Let's sing. Let's sing.